0: Welcome, everyone, I'm back to BAM's Radio here on this Friday before our Easter weekend, March the 30th, 2018. Coming to you a day later, uh, we are now going to come to you on this Friday. I'm with Thomas Watts, uh, the wizard behind the curtain, and my co host, producer of BAM's Radio, and of course, our third amigo, William Redfish Barger, former Alabama offensive lineman, national champion in 1992, and of course, from 88 to 93, and, uh, yeah, a key member of the Alabama Crimson Tide football program. Uh, and we always enjoy our, you know, being with our listeners on BAM's radio. We've got a little bit of news that's now official. We talked about it on the show, but now you've got pen to paper, and uh, they have the signature. He'll be there in May. But Tavita Masika from San Mateo Junior College, the same one that Dominic Jackson, uh, of course, attended before coming to be before becoming a starter on a national championship offensive line at Alabama in 2015 at right tackle. He uh, attended the same J.C. Tavita Masika has a cousin uh, that's going to be from the University of Washington. Uh, uh, you know, that is, is going to be a first-round draft choice at defensive tackle. He measured, what, from what we understand, uh, a, a legit 6'2". Uh, you know, the weight is, I've heard all kind of reports, anywhere from 320 to 360 obviously probably going to have to drop some weight when he gets to the University of Alabama, but he fills a needed interior defensive line uh, as Alabama missed on Bobby Brown. And of course, Malik Langham from Lee High school and William, I know uh, he's a true nose guard, but again, uh, it's unusual to kind of find a quality guy this late in the process. Alabama fortunate. The young man had some academic work to do, Uh, but Bita Valle, his uh, cousin is going to be a, high draft pick for Washington seems to come from good football stock, a, a pretty good uh, late addition for the Crimson Tide to fill a need.
1: No, I, I totally agree. And, and, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten a kick out of all the, uh, you know, wild speculation on the internet since uh, it became official as to, you know, what his, his true size was and all the concerns, you know, about his weight, because, you know, he was listed most places at three twenty and, you saw the speculation that he, you know, he was, you know, weighed in at 340 um, when he visited Alabama. Some people are saying 360, um, and and it's funny. I I sent the, you know, again, this was from the picture that I used from last fall. Certainly, he could have put on some weight, but uh, I sent a buddy of mine a, a picture of him last year standing on the sideline um, when he supposedly weighed 320, and and you know, put the side side by side comparison up of somebody that's probably on a on a light day three sixty and Deontay Brown and I said, you know, this is what three sixty looks like. There's no way this kid, uh, you know, is three sixty. But regardless of whatever it is, you know, unless he's got a uh Brandon Hill slash Deontay Brown level eating disorder, you know, somebody being a little bit overweight and out of shape in, in, in March is not a huge issue. Um, you know, Samoan people are, are real, you know, thick. I mean you know, for those people that have never had a chance to meet Tua Tungabailoa in person, um, you know, part of this is because he's not very tall. You know, he, he's gotten real thick, um, you know, in the 12 months since he's been in, in Tuscaloosa. And I'm not saying he's got bad weight, but they just are, you know, a very, uh, you know, typically short and, and stocky uh, ethnic group. And, uh, you know, I, I don't get all the angst about that. Maybe it's, uh, you know, some hangover from, you know, the, the up and down, uh, you know, junior college recruiting that has gone on during Nick Saban's tenure. But, but really, the only position where, you know, I think you can honestly make an argument that the, the JUCO recruiting has been up and down um, is on the offensive line. They, they've done a really good job uh, bringing in junior college defensive backs and defensive linemen. I mean, hell, Isaiah Buggs, uh, Jaron Reed, DJ Petway, you know, the list goes on and on. But I, I don't think... Um, there should be the concern that there is, you know, in, in March, uh, over what this kid's size is. I was very impressed and pleased with how long he was measured with his arms. So for somebody that's probably only, you know, six foot one, maybe he is six foot two. I'll believe that when I see it. Uh, he's got very long arms, which will help him, you know, get leverage on offensive linemen when he's playing. And I think he's, he's probably maybe a a little bit more than just a zero uh, technique nose guard. He can probably play the three and the one technique and defensive tackle as well. Um, But but a big pickup for Alabama. I think they scoured the whole United States, um, you know, looking for a a quality interior defensive lineman that they could bring in, and this is who they picked. And, uh, you know, Nick Saban and his coaching staff have proven – you know, that they're really good at identifying those type of players and bringing them in. So, let's wait and see what he looks like, um, you know, after, you know, going through almost a full three months of the summer conditioning program when he gets there at the end of May.
0: And I thought he made uh, significant strides last year. Matter of fact, I almost spit my sweet tea all over the uh, back of the seat in front of me when I went to this first spring scrimmage last year, the closed scrimmage when I saw Johnny Dwight. I had to check my my uh, roster sheet. He had changed numbers. I didn't even recognize him. He didn't play a lot last year, but when he did, William, I thought he did some quality things. Are we underestimating Johnny? Can he give them fifteen snaps a game this year?
1: Yeah, I think he probably could have done that last year, um, and I think you've got another guy in Fidarian Mathis that can give them that as well. Um, you're you're going to see. Um, he's nowhere near as bulky. Um, as the other two, but uh, Quentin Williams, I think, will factor in down there. You could slide both Isaiah Buggs and Raekwon Davis down there, which, you know, right now those are your two uh, inside guys um, on obvious passing situations when they bring Christian Miller and Terrell Lewis, um, you know, onto the defensive line where their defensive ends, um, you know, in the rabbit package on obvious passing down. So that they've got, um, you know, more depth. Um, And people realize, you know, to me, at least on the defensive side of the football, you know, the only position group right now that's really got a depth issue, unless the injury bug like last year hits hits a certain position group, is that inside linebacker.
0: Perfect segue there, uh, inside backer. We've got to find out what's going to happen with Keith Holcomb, who's right now playing on the Alabama baseball team, starting in left field most games, William. He and Nick Saban have uh, decided that he will concentrate on baseball this spring. They will meet after the season to decide if he comes back. To me, I think they need him because he's experienced. He would provide depth. We know what happened with the injury situation the year ago. I did think it was interesting uh, when we saw Cecil Hurt earlier this week. I don't know if someone made you aware of this, but uh, Jawan Johnson – a uh, all-MAC linebacker at Northern Illinois, 98 tackles, 5 interceptions. Left the program to pursue a graduate transfer. We know Dylan Moses and Mac Wilson are very good football players and likely to be the starters. Could you see Alabama trying to attract someone like this young man to provide depth even though I understand this is a very complicated defense. He wouldn't have spring practice to try to uh, uh, to you know ingratiate himself and in and, and, and you know, learn the scheme, but even though it would be a short sample size, might we see Alabama pursue a graduate transfer inside linebacker? Sure.
1: I mean, they, they've got the, you know, the scholarship to give away if they want to, but you know, going back to the Keith Holcomb situation, um, you know, I think it will be interesting to see what happens uh, the, the rest of the, the SEC baseball season for him. Um, you know, there's some, you know, some some rumblings behind the scene. You know, if he keeps up hitting the way that he's been hitting uh, throughout the, the first part of the SEC baseball season, there's a chance that he's a, you know, a, a major league baseball draft pick in the, the major league baseball draft in June. Um, and, and, you know, that might be the best thing for him uh, versus trying to juggle two sports. Um, you know, another thing that I think might play into the Keith Holcomb situation, or if they decide to make a run at Juwan Johnson. Um, you you've got you know one guy that's really stood out um, through the first part of spring practice. He, he's really kind of uh, made a move, so to speak, in, in Markel Benton. And they were very impressed um, over last weekend, uh, the Moody kid. Um, you know, came in and they were very impressed with with his physical stature as well. So, if you're asking me if I think Alabama is going to make a run at Juwan Johnson, I think it's certainly possible, but I think there's still a lot of moving parts involved um, that will influence that decision.
0: Yeah, no question about that, and uh, we'll see. You know what happens from here, and uh, you know a lot of like you said, a lot of a lot of it will depend on Keith Holcomb's performance. He has uh, you know, cooled off somewhat since that hot start, but again, he is a good baseball player. Uh, talked to Cecil heard about him. We talked we uh, we were both in agreement that he's kind of a five-tool guy. He's never really concentrated on baseball, so we'll see, you know, how good uh, he does uh, for Alabama going forward. Uh, and then I think it's significant William cuz Markel Benton, you know, near the end of last year kind of got in the doghouse a little bit, but I know when he first got there, he impressed. They were able to redshirt him. He is going to be valuable this year. And if they go after a graduate transfer, uh, you know, Jalen Moody, as you said, impressed them. He was a Pete Golding fine late, was going to head to Arkansas to play for John Chavis until Alabama got involved. But it seems at best, Vandarius Cowan, uh, even though Nick Saban may have, you know, commented on him this week, saying he's kind of been away uh, from practice, concentrating on some academic endeavors because he missed some study hall. and. Really, I think was kind of in the still in the doghouse. We've already heard some other off the field things on Cowan. He seems to have a tenuous future in Tuscaloosa right now.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that, and uh, I don't necessarily uh, think that it all has to do with uh, his study hall and academic performance. We'll have to wait.
0: Completely agree.
1: uh, How that plays out. you know, going forward this summer once they get into fall camp in August. But, you know, it's a it, – it, you know, I, th- I think when you're talking about Markel Benton, um, you know, one of the things that really impressed them early on um, was how good he is. You know, he, he's not a a Mac Wilson or a Reuben Foster, you know, a, that's a guy that's going to take your head off between the tackles at this stage in the career. But what they really like about him and, and what they were hoping that he could grow into – um, for the 2018 season, is somebody that could come in um, on obvious passing situations in the nickel and dime package, and maybe give Mac Wilson a blow uh, because Mac Wilson is a, a true guy um, that can play um, successfully against the run, but also you saw you know over his last two years since he's been on campus how good he is at dropping in coverage with all the interceptions that he's gotten and passes that he's broken up, and I think that's where. Markel Benton's role is being looked at going into the 2018 season. See, he has excelled in coverage, uh, but, but done a very good job so far early on, you know, in spring practice. But, you know, that is probably the, the only real concern numbers-wise for Tosh LaPoi, um at this stage in the game, uh, you know, in spring practices. You know, once you get past, you know, Dylan Moses and Mac Wilson, an inside linebacker, you know, the, the, the position kind of, you know, falls off of a cliff, not just from a number standpoint, um, you know, you've got some guys back there like Josh McMillan um, and some others, but, you know, just, just guys that are proven commodities that can play SEC football. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. But um, I, I do think Markel Benton, and I agree with you, <clears throat> Last late last fall, uh, November, December, he did get into the doghouse a little bit, as did Vandarius Cowan. But, Benton has done a better job of digging himself out of the hole that he dug himself and we'll have to wait and see if Vderrius Cowan is capable of doing the same thing
0: we certainly will no question about that and uh, and William I know you had a chance that's a, uh, to uh, through your various sources and you have excellent ones uh, to uh, get a practice report from Alabama uh, for this you know this past week as they were Uh, their second week of spring drills. Uh, First of all, uh, just because we'll get it out of the way, because otherwise people are going to have to go get a drink. But uh, uh, it sounded as as though the uh, kicking game under Jeff Banks, he just got there, but he's got a lot of work to do.
1: Yeah, he does. Um, You know, I think that might be, you know, the one position um, that does kind of take a nosedive, unless there is some significant improvement. Uh, between now and and the Louisville game, uh, where you do see kind of a nosedive performance for Alabama. And, uh, you know, it probably should be expected uh, to a certain extent, but, you know, Skylar DeLong, at least right now, is not in the same classroom as J.K. Scott as a punter. And, you know, the the place-kicking woes, um, you know, have continued. And, uh, you know, I think that unless there's some significant improvement um, from both from of us between now and this time next year, um, you know, you can see him on, on uh, you know, the, the processing list as well. Um, it, it, you know, it is what it is. You know, you'll be down there uh, next, a week from Saturday to see the first scrimmage. Maybe you'll be able to, uh, you know, provide some more insight on that. But I do know that uh, from some of my sources that were at the, the Tuesday practice this week, um, you know, the, the kicking aspect, both punting and place kicking was, uh, not at the championship level, I guess is the politically correct way of putting
0: it. And I get to ask this too, uh, we, and we will preface it. The graduate transfer kicker, Austin Jones, who uh, will be coming from temple was not there. Correct. This was just below us.
1: Correct. I mean, well, it was Belovus and I think some other walk-ons. Right, right. You know, place kickers. But Mm -hmm. no, he is not there. He won't be there until uh, the end of May. And uh, and again, you know, I've seen a lot of players at various different positions, um, you know, that have, you know, struggled in spring practice, have come back in August and and looked a lot different. But, you know, Drew, we both talked about this, you know, last year, uh, you know, during fall camp. When you and I both had a chance to eyeball, you know, that place kicking situation. I think, you know, a lot of us felt like uh both of us was gonna come in and you mm-hmm. know be the guy. And you know, he just wasn't ready or capable uh last August. That's why Papanastus had to be the guy. And and you know, he was he wasn't bad, I don't think. No, I mean um, you know, I think I, I think you can kind of put the um, you know the same label on him that you would as Jalen Hurts as a quarterback. I mean, he was adequate during the season, uh, but did have some key misses during the playoffs and, and the national. That's what
0: did it. Game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A but, matter you know,
1: from- we'll see. I mean, it's 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 something that you know certainly isn't new to uh, you know Nick Saban. Since Lee Tiffin, I mean, I think the the place kicking. Uh, it's been a crapshoot to, mm-hmm. to, yeah, to say the least, but you know, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, it's it's something that you know, they're so good um, on both sides of the line of scrimmage, they've got so many good skill players, uh, you know, both veterans and newcomers. Um, it's a very, very good football team. Um, I, I don't think that you know, not having a, a dominant punter or a dominant place kicker is going to you know, bounce them out of the playoffs for 2018. Uh, but it's certainly something that is a concern. And, and I think, too, you know, we're only two weeks into, you know, finally having a, quote, unquote, you know, true special teams coach that, number one, played the position at a high level in college and has kind of made his mark um, as a college coach And Jeff Banks, uh, you know, on the scene and working with these guys. So you can see some moves. Um, you know, post-A-Day, um, you know, where they might do something there as well. Uh, but, but I do think that uh, the young man that's coming in from Temple could certainly ease some concerns to the place-kicking spot.
0: Yeah, he has some experience, uh, you know, and then and, and people have got to remember, Papa Gnosis during the regular season at one point, I think, made 14 out of 15. A lot of what, though, that he's remembered for is the misses in the playoff, especially at the end of regulation uh, against Georgia, if he makes that kick, even just that one, uh, his year and his career is uh, remembered completely differently, I think, but he did miss it. Luckily Tua picked him up there. Uh, and Papa Nostos got him a national championship ring, but he came a million miles because I will say, William, I know I told you this last year when I went to the, and watched him in the spring, it was an unmitigated disaster. And he came <laughs> a long way. I mean, when I went, and then when I saw him in the scrimmage in the fall, he was a completely different guy. So don't panic. You know, and Austin Jones will be there too. Nick Saban, not well, you know, uh, hedging his bets and in recruiting. Uh, and I know, William, he's over there near you where you live. But uh, that's why Alabama has offered Will Richard And if I'm not pronouncing the last name correctly, my apologies. But he is the combo kicker punter from Hoover, Alabama. And right now I strongly suspect he is going to commit to Alabama over Georgia from Hoover and they're recruiting him for an obvious reason just in case you know what uh, how the how the uh, below does this year as far as kicking and, and again Jones is a one-year guy and even with Skylar DeLong at punter so Nick Saban is not going uh, to you know uh, he's not going to leave any stone unturned and that's why he's offered this kid and a lot of people think that he's a five-star talent and uh, he's got a lot of great offers from a lot of power five schools and I think Alabama has probably positioned themselves the strongest in his uh, recruitment due to Jeff Banks.
1: Yeah, and I would agree. I mean, and and, you know, also, you know, it's it's no secret that, uh, you know, anybody that's seen Will Ricard, you know, driving up and down Highway 150 in Hoover over the last couple of years, uh, he does have some uh, crimson decorations on his pickup truck. So um, I I don't really know, you know, for – you know, the 2019 recruiting class, uh, you know, what is the worst kept secret in college football, uh, whether or not he's going to join the Alabama football program or whether or not, um, the guy that I like to refer to, cause his, his first name, you know, dorks me up every time I like to call him baby Tua, but I think it's Talia Tungabalola. Yeah.
0: yeah uh, Talia. Yep. I, I
1: think right now the, the, the three worst, uh, uh, kept secrets in college football is whether or not Will Ricard, Talia tonga or, or Clay Webb are going to be a part of Alabama's 2019 recruiting class.
0: And is there any worry in your mind? Uh, Auburn seems to be really trying to make a move with Amari Kite because, to, to put it mildly, their offensive tackle recruiting has stunk the last two or three cycles. They're trying to get him, but with Talia Tongavailoa, uh, I think a heavy Alabama lean, uh, with the Alabama ties over at Thompson High School, with Clay Webb being a heavy Alabama lean, we already know where Pierce Quick is. I know they're trying to go in and recruit all these guys together. Uh, do, does Alabama have something to worry about with Amari Kite, or do you think that they, as long as they uh, recruit him hard and make him a priority, that Alabama will uh, be able to get his services?
1: I mean, I think the only way that that wouldn't happen is, uh, uh, Drew. You'll know the guy. What's the the five star kid from either Virginia or West Virginia?
0: Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I'll have to look that up, but I know exactly who you're talking about. He came in uh, this past spring. Uh, this past uh, uh, during not, the football season. It's not season.
1: Darnold or Darnell. Right, There's something close to that. Right. I mean, I would think if they, you know, they they you know neglect him to the point where they go after the kids, um, you know, up on the East Coast, who is also an elite prospect. I, I personally think that Amari Kite is a five-star talent. I think probably, if anybody knows what they're looking at, you know, between now and, and this time next year, he will be a, you know, labeled a five-star by at least one recruiting service. He, he's a, uh, you know, he's a young kid, but you know, you know, I've met him before, Drew. He is a legit six foot seven. Um, a big kid, uh, in his lower body, he still could use some upper body development, which he'll get at Alabama. Um, but I think he's more of a right tackle versus a a left tackle. Um, but, but he is, you know, a, a, you know, a guy that grew up an Alabama fan and, you know, you've got, you know, former Alabama players over there involved in that program like Thomas Ram, Simeon Castile. Uh, don't let anybody tell you anything different. Their head coach, Mark Freeman, uh, is an Alabama guy as well. Uh, but but I expect him to be a part of the Alabama uh, 2019 recruiting class, no doubt.
0: And uh, let me uh, get that name for you uh, from Huntington, West Virginia, Darnell Wright, uh, six Darnell Wright, That's him. Yep. Yeah. you yes. You had and it. And I
1: think Alabama's I think Alabama's biggest competition for him is Georgia. You know, that's a, mm-hmm. a Nick Saban-Kirby smart battle there. Um, but he, he is very good. Uh, but, you know, I, I think, you know, right out of the gate, you know, you know, Clay Webb, Pierce Quick, Amari uh, Kite, I think all three of those guys, two of them are already rated five-star prospects. But I think that's the, the deepest – you know, since all, all three of those guys are, are rated, you know, close to the top of their positions, that's the deepest high school um, offensive line class I've seen coming out of the state of Alabama in a long, long time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I expect all three of those guys to be a part of Alabama's recruiting class. Um, and, you know, you've got a, a guy that can, you know, really excel at center, offensive guard um, and Clay Webb. Um, you, you've got a uh, Pierce Quick, who, you know, doesn't necessarily, you know, he's the opposite of, you know, looks like Tarzan, plays like Jane. Right. He looks like Jane, plays like Tarzan at this point, (laughs) if you look at him from a physical standpoint. Doesn't look like somebody that spent a lot of time, you know, in the weight room, Drew, but when you watch his film on Friday nights, you know, he kills people. Um, So, you know, they're they're in a good position there. Um, But, you know, I think you're going to see, um, you know, Pete Golding is already wrecking stuff down in, in Louisiana and Mississippi. Um, I think the state of Mississippi is actually deeper uh, than the state of Louisiana, which is you know kind of top heavy at this point. There's a lot of great prospects down there. But the state of Mississippi for this class, especially at the defensive line and linebacker positions, is loaded this year. And uh, Pete Golding is always already causing problems down there. Um, you've already seen where Jeff Banks, um, mm-hmm. you know, is getting the the number one outside linebacker, defensive end, however you want to look at him, uh, is coming to visit next week. Some people, I think 247 might even have him as the number one player in the country. Uh, but but I think you'll see the, the dividends from uh, the off-season coaching hires that Nick Saban's made. Play out into this recruiting
0: class. Yeah, I think so, and uh, you know, a big part of that will be uh, Nicobe Dean, uh, who in the state of Mississippi, uh, from Horn Lake, Mississippi. Uh, he's a guy with a 4.7 GPA, uh, got a Stanford offer, very advanced academically. I do think Alabama's going to be a very tough to beat for Nicobe Dean, uh, and then Nathan Pickering as well, defensive lineman in the state of Mississippi. That I know both the Mississippi schools like him and want him, but. It's going to be tough with Alabama's need on the D-line. I think Alabama's positioning themselves very, very strongly. Uh, and then with uh, Darnell Wright, William, I know you said Georgia's going to be after him too, but uh, you know, Nick Saban is revered as a son of West Virginia. I've got to believe there's a lot of people in Nick Saban's corner that will help them with Darnell Wright.
1: Well, and, you know, something else that, that, you know, really I think is is, is about to come into play on on the recruiting level, Um, you know, there's no doubt that, that, you know, Kirby Smart has, you know, one of the best, you know, offensive line coaches at the college football level, um, you know, over in Athens and Sam Pittman. But, you know, for for the same reason that I I, I question – because it, it it's kind of a a combo package, and I can't remember the relationship. Maybe they're tied together by their two wives that they're married to, or th- there is some family dynamic there where you know if you want to get Sam Pittman, you got to hire Jim Cheney. Um, but, you know, if, if you want to go back and put the blame on somebody besides Nick Saban in the national championship game for not starting to a Bailoa. Um, which I think that would have been a 41-14 to beatdown had he started that game. Uh, but there's a lot of people that think that Sam Pittman, um, you know, is currently, you know, the top offensive line coach in college football. There's all kinds of rumors if you go to the, the Georgia boards where, you know, their moderators have their fans thinking they've got a chance to get Clay Webb and they have no chance to get Clay Webb. But, you know, Sam Pittman, to me personally – creeps me out. I mean, he looks like, you know, John Wayne Gacy without the face paint on as a clown. And, you know, I, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Like you said, Drew, it's not just Nick Saban. It's also uh, Joe Pendry, um who has those connections up there in West Virginia. Um, and if you look at the track record between the two programs, um, you know, Alabama can make a claim under Nick Saban Um, since 2007, that they're O-line U for the NFL draft. Um, And, and, you know, they've got a guy that's currently on the team that's going to be a top-ten draft pick. Um, I don't think he's going to come out early. I think he's going to finish his career out there in Jonah Williams. Uh, But they've also got other guys there that will be draft eligible, um, you know, probably in two more years. Uh, you know, and Alex Leatherwood and Jedrick Wills that came out of that 2017 class. And I think that's what's so interesting to me when you start breaking down, because there's so many uh, Alabama fans out there, Drew, that, you know, now that Hugh Freeze and Old Miss is gone and, uh, you know, three years ago it was Urban Meyer, you know, there's always a boogeyman out there um, for, for Alabama fans. You know, three years ago after that, you know, playoff loss to uh, Ohio State. Urban Meyer was the boogeyman, and he had Nick Saban's number. Um, you know, hell, they can't even they can't even uh, go play Iowa on the road, and you know, not get their damn heads caved in. Um, again, you got you got Kirby Smart now. Um, look, I, I, I've watched college football games now and participated in them for five years, and if if Tua Tungabailoa starts that game. Against Georgia uh, last January was what, the eighth or the ninth. That, that's a forty-one to fourteen beatdown. Um, and, and if I'm a Georgia fan, you know it's great. Um, you celebrate your your new head coach getting you to the the national championship game. Um, but, but truth be told, um, you got your heads caved in by an offense in the second half of that national championship game. That all came from the greatest of all time recruiting class that I've ever seen. Um, let, let's let's don't forget about the fact that they got embarrassed in the second half by an offense that had six true freshmen playing on it in the second half versus Georgia. And of course, the Georgia excuses are, "Well, we got to wait for the Mark Rick, you know, crappy recruits to filter out." There's not a lot of crappy recruits. I mean, Raekwon, uh Smith, uh, you know, is one of the top inside linebackers. There's people that are projecting Lorenzo Carter uh, to go in the first round. Uh, you can say what you want about Mark Rick, but he, he was not a crappy recruiter. Um, he was a crappy manager of a big-time college football program. And I'm still on the fence on whether or not Kirby Smart is ready to – he can go out there and sign number one recruiting classes, but I'm on the fence as to whether he can manage one.
0: I completely agree with you about that with Kirby Smart, and I have kind of been known for a hashtag now when I get on Ryan Fowler's show uh, in Tuscaloosa because I always uh, I always say Kirby Freeze, I mean Smart, because I mean because of the some of the shenanigans that he's been trying to pull on the recruiting trail, and you know they've they've gotten some great players, but I, I agree with you. In, in, in some ways, Hugh Freeze couldn't uh, manage his program either. We saw what happened to him, even though they were bringing in great players at Ole Miss, and he crashed and burned. It's Kirby Smart going to crash and burn? I don't know. but He's going to have to handle a quarterback situation of his own uh, with Jake Fromm and then Justin Fields. He's promised a lot of people a lot of things, and I want to see uh, if, the, as I call him, the peckerhead in Athens can handle everything because he's going to be a big favorite next year He's going to have a lot of targets, Uh, you know. Everybody, you know, hunting Georgia. I want to see what Dan Mullen can do at Florida, and it's going to take a couple years. But what Jeremy Pruitt can do, and I know you've already talked about this, William, but it looks like Jeremy Pruitt's already starting to make some waves in recruiting.
1: Well, I think if you just break it down from a geographic area, Drew, um, you know, the SEC East has, you know, since the fall of Phil Fulmer. you know, in the early 2000s. You know, the SEC East has kind of been a – well, you know, the the SEC West has dominated them when it comes to SEC championship games. But if you look in that geographic area, um, you know, and again, you know, Kirby Smart will put a good product on the field every year um, if he keeps all the in-state talent home in Georgia. But look look at the geographic area that they have to recruit against you've got Dabo Swinney at Clemson, you've got Will Muschamp in South Carolina, you've got Jeremy Pruitt up in Knoxville that has a assistant coaching staff that is littered um, with former Georgia coaches, and he just added probably the guy since Rodney Garner was the recruiting coordinator at Georgia, John Lilly uh, to Jeremy Pruitt's staff, and I can promise you this, Lilly was added as an off the field extra in Knoxville. And I can promise you by this time next year, he'll be on the field where um, he can be a recruiter. And you've got, like you said, Dan Mullen uh, down in Gainesville, uh, uh, Willie Taggart at Florida State. You know, things are fixing to get ramped up on Kirby. And, uh, you know, we'll see how he responds. But to me, I, I think that. You know, people pay so much attention to this, and I do think it is a legitimate argument. But half the battle, you know, people say that, you know, Nick Saban wins because he signs the best recruiting class every year. But but let me tell you something. Nick Saban won a, a national championship. Well, let me back up one more year. He, he fielded the number one team in college football, the, the week before he went against Urban Meyer, which he lost in 2008, 17 of those starters were Mike Shuler recruits in 2008 when they got beat by Florida. The next year when they won the national championship, I think it was 12 or 13. So, you know, and, and a bunch of three-star players that contributed to that win. Um, you know, Kirby Smart, in his first two years, is able to sell early early playing time. Same way Nick Saban was, but go back and look at some of those losses. You know the the hail mary by Butch Jones last year or two years ago. Um, you know got got beat out of them by Auburn in the regular season game in November. Um, I, I'm just on the fence. I, I'm not a um, well. Yeah, I am. I'm a Jeremy Pruitt guy. I'm not a crazy smart guy. But there is some dynamics going around over there in the SEC East route that I think you could see the uh, Georgia fans turn real quickly on their golden boy. It
0: it would be along the lines of a, uh, if he can't beat Nick Saban, uh, of a Les Miles, uh, because LSU certainly did that. They loved him uh, through uh, 2000 and 11, and uh, they never really recovered from the beat down in New Orleans and the rematch, and Les had some really good football teams and had as good a run as anybody had at LSU but could not beat Nick Saban, and uh, that's why uh, you see the coaching change there, and I'm going to be honest with you, William. We haven't even really talked much about Coach Ogeron, and to me, if I'm an LSU fan, I've got to be worried. I know they're trying to put a spread offense in, they're falling behind. They're falling behind a lot of schools in this league. I wouldn't be surprised. I know they still have talent, but I would not be surprised if LSU is behind Alabama, Auburn, and Texas A&M this year. I think they're rapidly falling back. Uh, I do think Dave Ronda is a good DC, but I, I don't really follow what they're doing on offense and what he's doing. You know, he—I he, mean, they—he could—they could—they just never seemed cohesive last year. This still reminds me so much of Coach O when he was at Ole Miss, and except LSU's not going to give him as much time as Ole Miss did. If they have a if they have a year this year where they're seven and five or worse, I could see Coach O getting fired.
1: Drew, they can't afford to do it. the the, the mongoloid that they have down there is their AD. Yeah,
0: gave Joe, Oliva. Coach
1: o, su- gave Coach O such a big buyout. They can't. They don't have the money.
0: You're stupid
1: um, to, to get rid of him. Number one. Um, number two. I think the 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 second biggest question that I have for SEC uh, West schools is, you, you know, you've got Jimbo going out there to Texas A and M, and you know he, he's a QB guru. I give him that. But you know he's going out there and he's taking over a program um, that has been for the last five or six years immersed into the hurry-up, no-huddle spread offense, which means you don't have offensive linemen that can knock people off the ball. Um, You know, you're, you're quarterback dependent. And now I will give them credit. I thought that last year when John Chavis was the D.C., they did one of the best jobs that I saw all year of coming up with a game plan to uh, slow Alabama's offensive down with, you know, they, they came up with the, uh, uh, the, the Pittsburgh, uh, old school game plan of subbing their defensive tackles inside and crowding the gaps. But, you know, you've got Jimbo going out there getting $75 million and they're not going to get $75 million in a return. And they're not certainly not going to get a national championship. Um, you know, I think the West is, when you start looking at it, you know, it, it's it's Alabama versus Auburn. It's Nick Saban versus Gus Malzahn. Um, and, and, you know, they've got their own issues down there in Auburn. But, you know, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, um, Mississippi State has a new guy. Um, you know, LSU can, like you and I both agree on, they've got great players. But you know, is is Coach O going to develop them? You know, he went from having a guy this time last year in Matt Canada, and I'm not going to name the Alabama football coach that told me this to my face on the practice field last year at the Malmore practice field that said, you know what, we're worried about this Matt Canada guy that does all this pre-snap motion. And confuses us. They were worried about Matt Canada, and Coach O fired him and brought in an an SEC retread in Steve Insmanger, and ain't nobody worried about him.
0: That is completely accurate. And, you know, we know Chad Morris is recruiting better. uh I, I spoke to Trey Biddy of Hogs. Uh, Sports.com today, and uh, he does a great job. He's covered Arkansas for 14, 15, now really 15 years. Knows him as well as anyone. He, he said that they're bringing in a lot better talent as far as for visits than Brett Bielema did. Uh, they're even excited about John Chavis. He, they think that he can help them kind of get better defensively. And with John, he everywhere he's gone, he's had some initial success. It's just been about maintaining it, at least outside of Tennessee. Uh, you know, and uh, even though he did have a pretty good run at LSU until they just, And really when you go back and look at it, they just couldn't beat Alabama, but you know, and Chavis, he, they, they got better at Texas A&M, but still weren't good enough. But I still think a lot of it was who the head coach was. I have doubts about Chad Morris as a head coach. We'll see. He won some games at SMU. Uh, but overall he's, he, he, he cut his teeth, uh, putting together really good offenses at Clemson, but can he run? a total program we will see, but, uh, Arkansas has got a long way to go to, uh, so, uh, you know, and and, and again, they're in the same boat kind of as behind those other three, I think with LSU, because I do think that, uh, with the money and the resources that Jimbo will get a and M better and better in a hurry, Even though they've still got to kind of figure out, uh, the quarterback position, no doubt about it. But for another topic of conversation, we brought up Jonah Williams, and he spoke to the media yesterday. William, were you surprised uh, that he that he uh, basically said that he he's he's worked mostly at left tackle this spring, hasn't really moved uh, a whole lot. There hasn't been a ton of experimenting as far as as much as people thought. And I know a couple years ago, uh, Ross Pierce Baker spent all spring and most of fall at center before giving way to Bradley Bozeman and going back to left guard. But do you think we're going to see Jonah Williams experiment at all inside or does, and, and give Leatherwood a chance to get on the field, or is this a thing where Leatherwood is just going to have to bide his time?
1: You know, Drew, I, I will say this, and, and this won't be popular. It certainly won't be popular with you, but but it, it's true. Um, you know, there, there's so many people out there that saw Alex Leatherwood come in relief uh, for Jonah. In the national championship game, and they felt like that Alex Leatherwood earned a starting position based on what he did after Jonah Williams went out of the game. And again, this won't be popular, um, and it's going to have to you know, it's going to have to play out on the practice field this fall, and it's going to have to be played out on the practice field in August. Um, what what Tua Tonga did. In the second half of the national championship game, it still has to be earned. Um, and I understand he's injured right now and he can't do that. But and I fully expect him to. But for somebody jumps down my throat, and I, you know, Drew, you might be the guy that does it. <laughs> um, it still has to be done when when it's nut cutting time. And I fully expect Tua tonga to be the starting quarterback. But people are not going, especially the rabbit Alabama fans, and I'll throw Ryan Fowler in there with them all. Ryan, I love you. You know I do. Um, it has to be done in games. And – Alex Leatherwood did not earn a starting position in the second half versus Georgia, just like Tua Valoa did not earn a starting job in the second half versus Georgia. It has to play out. The team has to absorb it and ask for it, and that's when Nick Saban will allow it to play out. And at the quarterback spot – Nick Saban is going to milk this quarterback position out uh, longer than a lot of people will like for it to be milked out because he is going to prevent whoever the, you know, I'm not going to say who I think is the loser of that battle, but he will milk that quarterback job out throughout the whole month of September to prevent the Blake Barnett transfer. Um, But, Going back to what we were talking about initially, um, I'm a little bit surprised that Alex Leatherwood has not gotten any more minutes with the first-team offense than he's gotten. Um, You know, this goes back to, um, you know, the fans looking at what they're looking at. They don't understand how offensive linemen are graded. Um, You know, he he was heralded as one of the heroes – of the national championship game drew and don't get me wrong, he did a, a decent job, but games are I mean jobs are not given based on two quarters of play and he's got to go out there and earn that thing. And there has you know through the tr- the two weeks of practice drew, there has been zero experimentation with Jonah Williams at any other position except at left tackle. So if you look at that and you analyze it and you say, well, what's going to happen to Alex Leatherwood?" Well, until you start seeing him working at left guard or right guard or maybe even right tackle, here's what you're left with. He's a second-team guy that still has not earned the trust of the coaches that he's one of the five best. And, and that's
0: all there is to it. And then uh, I think we may have won. There's always a guy that ends up being underestimated, William. I think Matt Womack was that guy last year, and he ended up winning the right tackle position and playing it all year. And now another guy that uh, I know a good friend of yours that used to be on this coaching staff that a head coach of the Oregon Ducks, Mario Cristobal, uh, said he called him the little pit bull. He's bided his time, played a little bit, and now trying to lock down the starting left guard job. But it sounds like, Josh Kasher is not going to go away.
1: Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, at least in the first pads practice, and I thought this was, you know, very telling, Drew. um, Ross Pierce-Baker,
2: you know, who's
1: the leading candidate for the center job, he worked at center, and he worked at right tackle. Um, When he wasn't at center, um, the starting left guard, Josh Casher worked at center, Um, but but you know, I I think the thing that that really kind of you know ignites people about you know the Josh Casher argument, you know versus Alex Leatherwood that's six foot six. You know, people miss the mark on this thing. Is that Josh Casher might only be six foot tall, which that's what I'm saying he is. But he's got those same long ass arms that Chance Warmack had, who was a, a you know a top ten draft pick. Um, well, let's wait and see what happens. I mean, I think you know they do a great job. We're only two weeks into spring practice, and you know people are freaking out, Drew, about you know is it Jalen or Tua at quarterback? Is it Damian Harris or Najee Harris at running back? Um, you know, is Jerry Judy going to be the guy at wide receiver? Or, you know, is somebody going to give, you know, Terrell Shavers a fair shot there? Um, you know, there, there's so many unanswered questions. And, you know, my response to everybody would be it's spring practice. Um, you know, sit back, drink a damn cold beer, and, and don't worry about it. Um, the, the, the best college football coach in the history of the sport group is going to figure it out.
0: He certainly is, and that would be Nick Saban going for his sixth national championship in a decade, which would be just stunning. And I think it's definitely possible with this offense that I think could be the best that we've ever seen at Alabama, only because I think the quarterback you know, position, Alabama's had A.J. McCarron, who was very good, finished second in the Heisman Trophy voting. But even I'll go ahead and say this, he's not Tua Tungvalu. Tua is special. I know it's been a, a small sample size, uh, but uh, I wanted to bring Thomas Watts into the conversation to end uh, this Bams Radio. Uh, on a, as we, but as Thomas says, we are ending it. Uh, I know you had a chance. I, we had a discussion about this uh, before we uh, started our uh, show, but you had a chance to study some uh, something that Matt Wyatt did. Matt Wyatt, of course, the color analyst for Mississippi State football. Uh, Also the co-host of Head to Head uh, Super Talk Mississippi, their daily radio program. He does an outstanding job, and he was on my show earlier this week. But I know you went back and studied uh, uh, what Matt Wyatt had to say about uh, Tua, and he analyzed all 77 of Tua's throws this year. And you uh, have some interesting info that I know you uh, wanted to share.
2: Well, Okay, so just for fans that haven't seen this, it's a series of YouTube videos ranging from anywhere from 19 minutes long to about 10 minutes. And Matt Wyatt goes through and tries to break down what he thinks the call was and how Tua Tonga-Vailoa saw it and how he was able to execute it. And essentially what comes out is... Of the 77 throws, maybe five to ten of them were legitimate freshman mistakes. But for every mistake, there are two or three Holy Moses plays. And not just, you know, oh, he was physically able to do something that not a lot of people can do, and that will carry him to greatness, but able to process information at a very high level and i will say with a straight face i've said on this program and others that as a scientist 77 passes is a very small sample size but i will also say with a straight face that breaking down those 77 passes does lend credence to To the argument, Drew, that you have made, and I've told you to your face and on this program that I'm not on board with yet, that Tua Tonga-Vailoa is going to be legendary. And, And the argument to me really comes down to what you believe Alabama fans will get when the team takes the field, not only for the closed scrimmages that you and I get to attend, but also for spring practice and then against Louisville. And the argument goes something like this. If you assume that Tua Viloa continues to just do the stuff that he showed in those 77 passes, Alabama's going to be really tough to beat. And I had that shown to me in spades as I reviewed this, probably hour to an hour, hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours of video. I actually did it today over a cup of coffee. My advisor wanted to shoot me. But um, anyway, I, I digress. If he's able to continue doing that, I mean, I don't think it's unfair to say that that's going to be very difficult for opposing teams to actually understand, or actually c- combat. Excuse me, I misspoke. Now, let's play the what-if game. What if Tua Vilo is able to gain more control of the offense and be able to audible and kind of do the pseudo Peyton Manning thing where he knows what's happening before it's happening, is able to anticipate it? That's your legendary. So I'm not completely off the fence. I will say that given those 77 passes, this quarterback job is almost certainly two as to lose. But, man, I really recommend if you've got an extra, you know, 90 minutes or so in your day, sit down and watch these videos. Even, you know, if you're not a big X's and O's person, Matt does a great job of sort of, explaining football in terms that football neophytes can understand and support and i appreciated the work and i have to say it did sort of ratchet up my excitement not only that but i see more and more where you're coming from since i was able to watch every one of those plays in what amounts to sequence drew
0: really is it was outstanding stuff and uh, just check that out i've watched them and i'm And uh, William, I know if if, uh, you have not, I know you'll definitely check those out. uh, That uh, that uh, outstanding series uh, by Matt Wyatt. But we're gonna wrap up this edition of uh, uh, of uh, our uh, Bams Radio tonight on uh, the in on the uh, March the thirtieth, two thousand eighteen. Everybody have a great Easter. Enjoy the time with your family and friends. We'll be coming to you next week. We always enjoy our listeners and our interaction and uh, talking Bama football. Of course, we'll be previewing the scrimmage and more practice and buzz we've heard next week. Uh, really enjoy and looking forward to that. It's going to be some great stuff. Uh, and, of course, Thomas and I will be in attendance. We'll have uh, you know uh, some outstanding conversation to bring you after the scrimmage, uh, and, uh, and we'll continue to break down spring practice. Uh, and, then we'll, and, and there'll be more recruiting. I'm sure there's going to be several visitors this weekend uh, and next for Alabama football. We'll talk a little bit of football recruiting as we did today. It was a great conversation. Everybody have a great rest of your evening. Again, happy Easter. I'm your host, Judy Yarman, along with Thomas Watts and William Redfish Barger. Good night and roll tide.